Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Morning Shot Uncut. I am Roman, and with me is Byron from somewhere in the Eastern Cape. Hello, Byron. Hello, Roman. How are you today? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. So this podcast is, of course, the unedited, uncut version of the YouTube channel Morning Shot. So if you like this podcast, you'll certainly love our YouTube channel as well. It is linked in the description. And if you wish to support us in a material way, Substack is the easiest way to do that. Just become a paid member and you'll get the video portion of the podcast every single week as well. So on today's agenda, we want to discuss geopolitics as it comes to South Africa, especially the unipolar world versus the multipolar world. Where are we going as a country right here in South Africa? And most importantly, what does the future hold depending on these two variables that we have discussed so far? So Byron, here is my claim. You're quite, well, I'm quite happy for you to call it bullshit, but my claim is, I think America has really screwed up policy and diplomacy in South Africa for the last 20 years. They don't understand the sort of revolutionary politics of the ANC, especially the Soviet revolutionary politics of the ANC. And therefore, we've basically had 30 wasted years of American diplomacy here in South Africa which leaves Americans with little to stand on to prevent the ANC in South Africa going into the sphere of Russia and BRICS generally. What do you say to that? Yeah, I can see why you'd say what you say, but I suppose my first disagreement is going to be that when the Americans first hedged their bets on South Africa, it was really between, let's call it the uh, Mandela or Mbeki era, now, let's remind ourselves that Mbeki was a, what you would, I suppose, refer to as a neoliberal. He was, in his own words, what he called a Thatcherite. He was a free market capitalist. Okay, look, he had communist tendencies because he has, he's obviously hedged with the communists. Like, but at the end of the day, he was a self-professed Thatcherite. So when the Americans came here, they were like, right, okay, well... We can get behind this. And obviously, we did see economic growth during that period. The problem is that, to a large degree, the Americans wanted to throw money at South Africa following the end of apartheid because they felt that they needed to, they had sponsored the regime change, they had helped push the regime change through sanctions, and they felt they wanted to rebuild the place. So the Americans put that all through into the country, not really, I suppose, from my perspective understanding there was a bunch of commies sitting in the background waiting to take over the commies have taken over and the problem is that the americans haven't really noticed it they've continued as if it's like you know business as usual now if you will cost your mind back to the donald trump era donald trump himself said well he didn't really give much thought to south african politics because as far as he was concerned south africa was just a shithole wasteland and you know what's there to look what's to look at so they've never really kind of considered it problem is that as the government has gone more into the commie camp they've obviously now sided with the let's say the aggressor in the russian ukraine conflict and obviously the americans are now looking at south africa again going oh yeah remember how we uh, forgot about south africa because we said it was a shithole i suppose we should have probably taken some note the problem is, even if they had taken note, would it really have made a difference? I'm not convinced it would have. I think it depends on a few things. So, ironically, my conspiracy theory about why 
Mandela and Mbeki most importantly were neoliberals was because they didn't want the revolution to be thwarted by the IMF. So they needed to cut the debt and they needed a, a surplus. And they, we had a surplus. South Africa was the only country basically in the 90s that had a surplus, which is incredible, like really incredible. Look at any other country, it, it rarely happens. Of course, that was ended when Mbeki was ousted in 2008, I believe. And then the commies took over, which we fully agree. But fundamentally, if we look at this selling of Russian arms to Russia, purportedly, allegedly, don't come for me, the High Court for Defamation. What matters is not whether arms were sent or not, what matters is the story got out. And it, were, and it got out because the US ambassador to South Africa said he bet his life that it happened. But then, mm. consequently, within 48 to 72 hours after saying that, he has apologized on two separate occasions, not for what he said, but for how he said it. And that's very relevant because that's all that actually matters. An apology was given. And what does that mean? It creates confusion. The media class in this country are a little bit retarded, so they don't understand anything. But basically... Media class globally are retarded, mate. Yeah. Our country is no different. I can agree to that. I can agree to that. But what essentially is happening now is there is no leverage for the Americans to stand on because A, they apologize for how they said something, despite it probably being true. And number Mm. two, what repercussions do they have at their disposal to prevent South Africa from being within the sphere of influence of Russia and China and BRICS generally? Cancel or goer? ANC will go straight to Russia. Sanctions, straight to Russia. What are well, what can Americans do now in South Africa? I just don't know. Not not much from what I know to prevent South Africa from becoming a vassal state of the Russian Federation. Yeah, but let's just assume what you say is correct. Um, I'm not sure I do because of the financial implications of the fiscus. The reality is, and we were about to talk about this before we came on the podcast, was, was we left it for the audience to listen to us have this ramble between us. The first is, let's say they do cancel it. Russia can't take up our trade deficit, mate. Then you might say, oh, okay, well, what about the BRICS nations? BRICS nations can't take up our trade deficit, mate. So we're going to have this massive, huge fork off trade deficit. Trade deficit means tax deficit. Right? Tax deficit, we're already over leveraged in terms of our fiscus. Our fiscus cannot support the existing bills we have to pay, let alone the interest, which means huge public sector cuts, huge public sector cuts. There's going to be cuts to all of the welfare that we have to pay out. Any public sector, we've seen in the public sector where they just say, oh, we're not going to give you your 50% pay rise that you seem to demand that we give you. We're only going to give you, you know, measly 10%. And these guys burn off the place down there. You've seen it time and time again. What's going to happen when you've got pay, trade surplus, you've got pay, trade deficit, uh, tax deficit, and they can't pay their bills. We've got basically sovereign sovereign debt crises. And you could say, oh, well, does the ANC care? Because the caters will just, like, I don't know, steal some gold and sell it on the black market, Zim style. Yeah, caters probably don't care for their own personal pockets, but I'll tell you when the caters do care, mate. When the union buildings are on fire and all of the civil servants are outside with pitchforks because they didn't get their they didn't get their pound of flesh. And you can say, Well that that wouldn't happen. Man, 
fucking happens every day in South Africa. Like we see government buildings burnt down for for sport. You know, it's just the way of doing things. Are you thinking there could be a Sri Lanka style regime change where they basically swam in the prime minister's pool? Remember that story from like a year ago? Yes. Yes, a real threat, and the ANC is aware of that, and therefore America does have leverage in some way. America's got massive leverage, mate. You cancel or go, we've got massive problems. Huge problems. Huge, huge, huge problems. Well, what are they going to do? Well, wouldn't it serve the Americans to cancel or go and say, you know what, fuck you, South Africa, burning hell? That could be something. It still doesn't solve the main issue, which is American influence or the lack thereof in South Africa. This is this is what people this is what people fa- fail to say. I mean, I saw it on Twitter, and to a large degree, I suppose you were guilty of this too. And that is, people go, "Ah, oh, okay, cancel Goa." Yeah, it ain't that simple, huh? Like, you cancel Goa, then the EU cut their trade their trade deals too, because our trade deals with America also tried to the trade deals with the their biggest trading partner, which is the, U- the EU. So, what does that actually look like in reality? Man, that means even for me, if I try to send myself money to South Africa from the UK, we're already grade listed, which means that more questions get asked when we send the cash. They're like, what's it for? Where'd it come from? Okay, those questions now get asked. You can't just transfer cash, right? Must understand, we start canceling all these agreements and start putting us on like red lists or black lists. We go from grey list to blacklist. You cannot send the money here. I cannot pay a supplier in Zimbabwe from the UK. I can't do it. It doesn't matter if they're sending me a freaking gold bar for one pound. I cannot pay them. It can't be done. Right? The implications that that has on various financial institutions and trade institutions, whether it be, you know, companies sitting here like Coca-Cola's headquarters having to transfer cash between different places. is astronomical, mate. It would absolutely kill the Fiscus overnight. So as far as I can tell, there's only three countries on the blacklist. North Korea, Iran, and Myanmar. Oh yeah, remind me, who's voting with uh, Iran? Uh, sorry, with uh, Russia at the moment in the, the, in the UN? Only South Africa, or are other countries doing it too? North Korea supports them. Right. I'm pretty sure Iran supports them too. Oh, it's... We'd be a good company on the blacklist. Seems like, you know, that's that's a list we belong on. But at the at the end of the day, just the mere threat of having through to go with AGOA and the EU's sanctions and cancelling of various agreements, just the mere sniff, the mere thought, look what it's done to the exchange rate, mate. The exchange rate is fucked. They're saying that there's up to 10 billion rands outflows in capital this month alone just at the mere sniff of cancelling our goa what happens when they actually fucking cancel it mate jesus that's a bloodbath and a half you can say okay well what they actually have in real time implications well this this week gordon goners actually had to come out and say you know how in my last budget i told you i was going to do xyz yeah that's not going to happen now and i'm not going to get anywhere near close to those targets and actually, when it comes through to paying for all the shit that I told you I wasn't going to have to pay for, because let's not forget, in his budget, he said, I can balance the book if we don't have to pay anybody else any extra cash. No pay rises for civil servants, all that shit. Then what happened? Civil servants burnt down half the place. What did we have to do? Oh, we had to pay them like 6 or 8% pay increase. Gordon Connor was already like, oh, fuck, I can't deal with this. 
He's like, oh, as long as we don't increase the bloody COVID-19 grant. What did they do? They said, ah, let's increase it because, you know, ANC like to get their freebies. Now he's like, fuck, I can't do this. And now we've got all the sniff of foreign sanctions and he doesn't even have the cash that he thought he could have. Yeah, that's that's a real problem and you can see it. Just listen to his own statements. He's like, right, guys, I could be fucked here. I could be proper fucked. And you could say, oh, well, the ANC don't care. Uh, the ANC cares when they got the public running through their gardens. And we have recently seen that. We saw it in the Free State where everybody went through to the Premier's garden there and basically health burnt down his house. Like we're already starting to have our Sri Lanka moment. So what happens when we have sovereign debt crises and people are coming through to all of the all of the politicians? Because that's coming, mate. It's coming if this happens. So you could say, well, the Americans have no leverage. I don't buy that. Americans have plenty leverage, but the leverage is Sudanese leverage, as in, we'll let you go into civil war and anarchy. We'll sit back, kick our feet up, and laugh. Yeah, basically. Russians can't stabilize the place. I don't think Russia wants to stabilize us. So here's the difference in sort of foreign policy between the two countries, as far as I can tell. I'm not an expert, and Byron, you're welcome to disagree with me. America is very much into like human rights stuff. Uh, lots of like gay rights stuff, renewable energy stuff. Like it's a lot of workery in 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 diplomacy uh, coming from America, whereas Russia is a lot more honest. They're just purely extractive. They don't mm. talk about politics. They just say, "What's the deal for us? What's the deal for you?" And there we go. Whereas uh, China is a lot more infrastructure driven. Okay, whatever. Zambia, you need a port in the air. I don't, I don't agree. China's infrastructure driven. Ch- China's in it for long term debt. See, China, China has a different game. Russia them. wants to extract, and they're going to give you. They're going to extract, they're going to give you, but the contract's going to be short-term. Mm. Uh, you're going to give me minerals, I'm going to give you, I don't know, a billion, a billion rand. Okay, right. done. Done, like, we're done. China's like, uh-uh, I'm not interested in the short-term game. And part of the reason that China is not interested in short-term games is because it's impossible to vote out the Chinese Communist Party. Like, remember, it's a one-party state, which means that allows them to have, like, a five, 10, 20 year game plan. So China's like, I tell you what I can do. I can do one of two things. I can either come and conquer your country or I can make your de- your country indebted. Right? I'm not going to send my troops there. I'm not going to waste my cash. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the thing that you need most, which is infrastructure. Because you guys stole all your infrastructure and you destroyed it. So you need that. But I want your country. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to build you this airport that I know you're never going to pay me for. And I'm going to wait it out. I'm going to sit there and I'm going to wait for you to pay me and pay me and pay me. And then one day you're going to default. And I'm going to go, cool, airport's mine. Thank you very much. I'll go to the airport. I've got to own your country with, by doing nothing. Nothing. Yeah. All I had to do is just sit back and relax. In another respect, Chad, Russia doesn't have that because Russia has five years, every five years they have an election. You could argue the legitimacy of the, of the actual election. You could argue the legitimacy of of whether or not Vladimir Putin may get in or not. That's that's an argument, but at the end of the day, they have to still have five-year foreign policies. China doesn't have to do that. They can have 20, 30, 40-year foreign foreign policies. Don't make a yeah. difference. Yeah. They can wait it out. But the difference is, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think based on the multipolar world that's coming out now, I think Russia and China can have multi-decade policies based on their political systems, because I think what it, if Putin goes, he's for the next 
head honcho, Medvedev or whoever, who's very much like Putin, if if not worse, in terms of he wants to nuclear bomb everyone <laughs> in provide aid to Ukraine. But what I'm saying is, these guys do diplomacy in, in sort of real terms. American steal the soul of a country through ideology and money. Yeah, but I, th- I think I think again, I think that's I would disagree with you slightly, not much, but I think I disagree with you slightly in that you have to remember the Americans are consider themselves because of their economic might, they consider themselves to be superior in terms of morality because they're the world's number one. Like clearly, their their model works because otherwise they wouldn't be number one in the world, right? Okay, they've got the highest GWP, they've got the highest growth, they've got the highest military, they've got all their other bullshit. So that means that just by pure might, pure might, they get to have the, because they're the economic heart of the world, if you will, they're like, right, that gives us the moral grandstanding to be able to tell the rest of the world how to do it because we've done it. We've done it, right? Now, there's a couple of things going on with the multipolar world, and I suppose there's an even wokery in what's going on around the world. The first is that the Americas claim that they're, revolution let's call it their their ability to generate all this this wealth was really kind of pushed forward by the democratic values that they held right so the if you may recall coming up to the 90s what was the big export that america had was democracy they wanted to democratize the world because clearly democracy led to all this massive huge wealth that we saw everywhere what would make that's what they else, claimed they would make it everyone else a consumer of american goods let's be honest the well that was it run. that was the idea that was the idea. If you open up, if you include, if you include democracy and you include plurality of choice, then the, what that does is it by by consequence opens up the free market, and then everybody can sell shit into those countries. And if you think about it, that's that's what we hear. That's what we have. All democracies are akin to the idea of freedom of choice between parties, freedom of choice of choice between association, and freedom to consume. Right. So then you can obviously you can sell shit to them. So you can say to yourself. Why did Americans want to export democracy? Well, because they wanted to export consumerism. Right? But, the, but, that, but that, that's, that's led to massive problems. 2008, that was a huge problem. Why? Because consumerism failed. The banks collapsed. Right? And the minute the banks collapsed, everybody realized, okay, well, maybe we've, we've got democracy, but we're actually poorer. We're not actually richer. So that led to a, let's call it a crisis of democratic values. So now if you go to a country and you say, right, I want to give you democracy, they're like, ooh, I can feel the love of democracy and it really hurts. Like, um, right, so now the Americans need to have something else to export. And the idea now is actually almost become akin to corporate capture. Because what they've done is they've gone to the corporates and they said, right, America, what we what we really want to do is we want to, export these woke norm values right but these woke values are stupid they values that nobody else wants so how do why do they do it they want to export it to other countries and then they want the the corporate world to export it as well so that the the corporate world gets to latch on something right think about it you got a whole month through to gay rights but cool so if i export gay rights to namibia and then i can get them to have a whole pride month then me as Coca-Cola, I can do my whole marketing campaign for the whole of Pride Month to to them. So I still get to export corporatism. But it's it's a bit more nefarious than that. Uh, my conspiracy, and this has no no sort of bearing of, of evidence, so to speak, my conspiracy is that the more work a country becomes, 
the more atomized the people become as well and more therefore vulnerable to consumerism and financial speculation. But that's what they want. Yeah, that's so the point. I'm correct. 100%, but that's what I'm, they want. They want I mean, to... My argument is that American imperialism, for lack of a better word, is not as great as people might think. No, I think I think your argument is not so much American imperialism. I think what you what you would argue is American consumerism, the consumeristic habits of Americans, the fact yeah. that we have this constant consumer led culture. Now the problem is that the the consumeristic nature of things was originally led by democracies and freedom, but sure. people are are questioning that now. Now it's being led by the ideas of wokeness and being more awakened to social justice because you see social justice is now the the new the new buzzword to talk about everybody's a social justice warrior everybody's a you know an advocate and an ally and i don't know whatever bullshit words you want to use but the reality of it is what do they actually really want well they want to they still want to export consumerism but hmm. here's where it becomes nefarious and that we need to define, and we, we use these words, multipolar world, you know, unipolar world, all the other bullshit that we, that, we, that we say. And the majority of the audience will sit here and go, I don't know what the fuck that means. And they won't be brave enough to call you out on it. They'll just go, oh, okay, I understand what that means. So let's actually use different wording, because I think by using different wording, we can understand it slightly better. The argument is against a universal agreement on the set of principles that every country must abide by. Now, there are universal agreements that every country must abide by because we understand those and we agree with them. The idea that law is sacrament. Obviously, if I enter into a contract, I expect the law to provide me with a remedy that's set out in the contract, right? Everybody expects that regardless of what country you're in. Okay, the idea that you shouldn't just kill me for the sake of it, right? My human rights are sacrament. Well, that's a universally agreed principle, mate. I, that was the original, sorry to interrupt, Byron. That was the original idea. But if you look at unipolarity, yeah, I'm getting it's been corrupted dramatically. But go ahead. Sorry. Right. So this, so this was the original idea behind having this universal norms, the idea that I can rely on certain things like that. Like, I have the right to bodily integrity. You're not just going to rape me for fun and everybody's going to laugh about it. The fact that I have data, data privacy, my privacy is my own to protect. Right, this was the original idea. And so when when you have America respond going, well, we're protecting the world order, this is what they want you to think that they are protecting. Right? Everybody has that understanding. Where it becomes difficult is that in the modern times, that has morphed and it has become like this. It has become into a degree of where once upon a time, the idea would have been the universal norm was you should be free to practice your religion, right? So if you wanted to be a Muslim in a Muslim country, cool. If you wanted to be a Christian in a Christian country, cool. Like, you had the right to practice your religion. But now they want to pick sides, you see. Now they want to say, yeah, but we don't like the Christians, and, you know, the Muslims are a little bit extreme. So how about we all agree that your religion isn't that important and maybe constitutionalism is more important than your religion. And so we should have this universal world order where we all agree to things like constitutionalism, like, uh, yeah, yeah, secularism and constitutionalism and your religions can have second place. 
people aren't going to freely sign up to that, mate. And that's where the problem starts to become. And that's what we're finding now with the woke world order, where they say, well, you know, you can't really, we have these things called LGBTQ rights. And so that means that people can almost be like transhuman and they can pick and choose who they want to be. Today, they can be a woman. Tomorrow, they can be a, a man. And then the next day, they can be a dog with bunny ears, if they so choose, right? And so what that means is that if you live in a country whereby you have this like sexual binary, well, we don't really want you to have that because that might not be inclusive. And you know, inclusivity is a good thing. So what we should do is you should destroy your language and come up with some bullshit stuff so that you can kind of have this like sexual revolution. Deeply problematic, especially if your country is a place like Spain where the actual mere language itself is gendered. It has two binaries and gender in the bloody language. So what, you want me to chuck my entire language? Same as France. But basically what we're seeing here is the end of the unipolar world where basically America is getting some competition, right? That the unipolar world since World War II was basically America ruling the world. Then it made a dramatic mistake in the 70s when Kissinger went to China and thought to himself, China would be a great manufacturing hub for American goods. This is how we bring China up. This is how we empower China. And this is how China will basically always be our bitch because they are the manufacturing hub of U.S. Um, corporations. That is backfiring slightly. So what Vladimir Putin says a multipolar world is, is when there are more than one centers of power in terms of geographic relations in the world. And that's what BRICS is about, is creating an order and a power source there. And then the EU and America largely are on their own. So you, basically the world is breaking up into two distinct power sources, the West, America and Europe, and then BRICS, for the lack of a better word, which is Russia, China, India, Brazil, and well, so Yeah, but let's not get confused here, because what we're talking about now is two different things, because we're basically talking about, we started off talking about this in terms of the woke morality and the export of wokeism to the to the world which is this uh, these are these concepts of what is it that you want me to do do you want me to join this global hegemony of ideas where we all have these progressive thoughts and ideas even when they conflict with my national identity of who i am those kind of things people are not signing up for and they're finding it very difficult to to have an a, acceptance of and if you ever listen to any of putin's speeches he talks about the erosion of the family, the erosion of language, this idea of all these different things, all the things we've just discussed. Putin's really like, no, Russia's been there. It's tried to adopt those universal norms before. We did it during the communist regime. It didn't work out for us. We're not going there again. Right? It's very clear on that. He's very clear on that. Very much. So what does that have a natural consequence of? Remember that the Americans were able to enforce all of this, and we said this at the start, the reason the Americans were able to enforce it at the start is because they were the world leaders, the biggest in GWP, the manufacturing hub, like the biggest economy, blah, blah, blah. Well, the only way for you to break away from that almost that world police, that conditioning is to have an economic might that doesn't rely on the Americans, mm -hmm. which is when you have to then go, right, okay, if I don't want the, the Americans to enforce this kind of global norm on me because... I'm now no longer buying in. Well, I have to break away, which means I have to decouple my economy from the Americans. Well, the first standard that's going to have to go is going to have to be the dollar standard, right? It's going to have to be 
this idea that we use the dollar for everything because whilst I'm still economically tied to the Americans through the, the, the dollar's might, very difficult for me to break away economically. And that's why we have the so-called suggestion of the BRICS currency. But also that means that these other countries have to start now breaking away from their economic ties with the with the Americas. Problem is, I don't think that's as easily said as as they claim, right? Because no. as we started out by saying here yeah, in terms of South Africa, you can claim, well, we want to be part, and I, I still want to talk about this because there is a, a bigger thought now going on in terms of the breakup of the world order. And I, I want to get to that because this is a really important point, especially in relation to South Africa. But the problem is that as they break away from the Americas, they go, right, we're not going to follow your norms. What that means is that there's trade deficits. That trade deficits and the problems that, that will, will arise from there are things that the countries that are breaking away from the Americas haven't quite got an understanding as to how that's going to affect them. I think if you take China and you say, right, the Americans will always draw their factories from China, what does that do to Chinese growth? China claims, if you listen to any of their policies, that what it will mean is that they will shift from an exporting country to a consuming country. In other words, they will consume their own goods rather than export it to someone else. Yes. Is that possible? Don't know. Don't know, but that will have massive consequences on China. Russia has a, has a, has a very different problem in that it's not actually a manufacturing economy. To a large degree, it's a consuming country based on minerals. And if people aren't buying your minerals, what does that do to the Russian economy? Don't know. Well, I mean, I know. to be fair to Russia, uh, the sanctions based on the Ukraine invasion has forced them to de-dollarize because they're not allowed to use it. They're not allowed to use the dollar. Well, they haven't had a choice yet. No choice whatsoever. So now they're selling this stuff in rubles. And so far, I'm not saying this is a long-term thing, but so far, the economy seems rather robust for the moment. Because Russia understood something that a lot of other countries like our own hasn't. I mean, ironically, that we're sitting on some of the largest gold deposits in the world. So where are we to actually reopen up the mines and not do all the commie bullshit that we do all the time? We can actually be fairly robust in terms of tying the South African rand to the gold standard. Russia knew that this was coming a long time ago and had been stockpiling gold like there was no tomorrow. So they've tied the ruble to the gold standard, right? The Americans used to have the dollar tied to the gold standard, but it was then tied to the, the GWP, the bonds, because, you know, America just was such a big economic mart. And unfortunately, I think long-term that may prove to be their undoing. But I mean, this is, this is a, a game that, to be frank, even Zimbabwe has recently caught it on to. They recently launched their own currency backed by the gold standard. So it does look like what we've got is we've got to return to the gold standard. And ironically, the Americans in trying to hold on to the dollar mart might come to the party too late in the ability to retire their currency to the gold standard. Who, mate, who knows? Who knows? And also, anyway, the politically, it, it makes a lot of sense for people who want to de-dollarize to peg their currencies to the gold standard as well. Mm. It makes a lot of sense to do that. So guess the country that don't have that much gold, though, because there is one, it's a rather big one, they don't actually have that much gold. So if they were to peg their currency to the gold standard, it would become highly problematic. That would probably China. be China. Yeah, China. Yeah. Right. So uh, that, that's why I say that it's not as straightforward as it seems to just go, oh, let's just de-dollarize because 
Now, China can only really get to that point is where they actually take over the Americas position, where they're basically number one in GWP or G, you know, our gross domestic product, GW, and where they, they turn around and go, oh, look, we're such a great country with uh, economic martyrs. It's great. Then they can kind of hedge their currency in order, you know, against their own ability to have government bonds and ability to repay and all the other bollocks that goes with that. But China's a long way from that, especially because they've had a sovereign debt crisis in the very recent future, specifically around their inability to pay back on their property development. Yeah. So one of their, their largest property developer went bust. They had whole cities they had to demolish because they couldn't afford them. Evergrade so, or something. Evergrade. So they're very far from getting to a point where the government can basically back a bond and that, that bond can be used as as the surety against their, their currency standard. Very far from that. So ironically, Russia's actually, even though it's a smaller economy by far and it's not a manufacturing hub, it's actually economically in a stronger position than China. Ironically. Yeah. Based, based on the gold reserves, based on the gold robust. Yeah. Now, so, with the with the, sorry, sorry. If I just, I just bring this back to sort of South Africa. I was going to yeah. Okay, go ahead. So as I said, there's something I wanted to return to. So here, so here's where this starts becoming a problem, I suppose, in the breakup of the, the universal world order, if you want to call it that, and coming bringing it back to the national states and the and what's important to the national states. Let's remind ourselves how we got to where we are. Okay, we said that the Americas are all going wrong with they were world number one, they imposed this order during just after World War II to get everybody to these universal contract laws, you know, right to life, human sanctity, all that stuff. Okay. And then we said that's got corrupted and now it's gone on to this idea now where they want to do this work exports and countries are now waking up to this idea of you know what, man? Like, nah, I still want to be able to have mama and papa, and I still want my social norms, and I want to worship my religion, and if my religion says no gays, then, you know, don't export that stuff to me. And we said, like, that's that's now a thing, right? But you see, the problem is, and this is where you start getting to South Africa, is that's now having knock-on effects onto the original stuff that the Americans brought in in the early 40s. Remember the stuff that we said, this is the original stuff they wanted to bring through rules, respectful rule of law, you know, property rights, all those kind of things, right? It's now having a knock-on effect of that. People aren't just going, right, okay, well, now we don't want this, your your universal norms because they become corrupted. So Putin's very happy to say, we'll stick with the old stuff, you know, the stuff that we agreed like in the 40s. But now countries like South Africa are, don't even want to do that. They want to go one step further. They want to go, you know, all the things that we agreed before, before this, like respect to property rights and respect for human safety, yeah, that, that stuff's up for grabs now as well. That's also up for grabs now. Now we want to renegotiate the original norms. And that's where the problems become. Maybe, maybe. So there's one theory that says, you know, America has put a handbrake on on that in terms of like, like a goa does respect property rights and, and need them, for example. So when South Africa tried to do expropriation without compensation, one of the big knock-on effects was AGOA being cancelled because one of the core tenants of AGOA was going to be transgressed in terms of expropriation without compensation. Here's, here's a question for you. If, let's say, South Africa does become a vassal state of the Russian Federation and with China and all the rest of it, I don't think there will be any sort of guarantees of property rights and things like that. I think that's, I think, 
a lot of people will speculate on this stuff as if it's something that can be speculated on and they will try speculate on what the post America aligned ideas South Africa would look like I don't think that we should even bother because the idea of a South Africa will no longer be there no. we will fracture like a woke person in a conflict scenario is just gonna they just gonna break down like a like a, a, a transgender person who has given been given the wrong pronouns uh yeah because you, you see that okay. as 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 we as we said you know the minute you have america with comes to the agreement you got agreements with the eu you got you know currency crashing you got liquidity crises you got people pulling their cash out the country you got large corporates fleeing at an astronomical rates you got government defaulting you got the civil service revolting you've ah mate that's that's a problem and a half if we get over that remembering that other countries that have gone through these turmoils have at least had things like the army and that to to at least bring calm we don't even have a fucking army mate like i saw a count the other day we've got something like three helicopters like 20 vehicles like it's ludicrous mate you couldn't you couldn't defend kyle ting with what we've got it's pathetic so i'm looking at other countries where russia has a outsized influence like a country like mali for example so in mali they are the Wagner Group is giving services to basically fight Islamists since Wagner. 2020. Come on then, speak Russian. Wagner, sorry, I'm French. Um, and in Mali, since 2012, the government of Mali have been asking the French for assistance in dealing with Islamic insurgencies in the country. And mm -hmm. the French has been very ineffectual in terms of that. Which, which if you know anything about the Foreign Legion, the words ineffectual, yeah. And foreign legion don't go together, which, which tells you that it's just a it's just a political will. Which begs the question that France didn't actually give a shit at all and didn't even try. Right? They sort of mm -hmm. had the shallow expectation and and very shallow expertise. The Wagner Group came in and are making real progress. So now Mali has completely ditched the former colonizer known as France and is going full bore with Russia. What does Russia do there? They provide, well, basically, they're like the Americans in the Ukraine conflict. They provide expertise, weapons, and things like that to fight the Islamic insurgencies. The one thing they don't do is play politics. Interesting. No. I think they've got a deal for, for minerals and things like that in return for this, but they don't care at all for regime change. They don't care at all for who's in charge or changing the fundamental nature of the political system. They just, it's like, it's, it's a much cleaner, simple contract. We will fight the insurgency for you. You give us X, Y in return. But that's it. Like, they don't care about anything else. Sounds attractive, huh? Until, attractive. until Mali wants to turn all of its people into slaves and subjugate them in concentration camps. Now, all of a sudden, they're asking for international assistance in order to stop tyranny. But you can't. Because you're a vassal state of another country. Like, see, it's not as straightforward. And whilst it looks, sounds good on paper, it's like, okay, remember what we said? Well, there was the original world, and this is why I wanted to say it. 
the original world order in the 1940s. Like, remember, you know, bodily autonomy, protection of property rights, all that kind of stuff, democracies, right? All those kind of ideas. Yeah, but if you're putting everything up for negotiation because you're saying the woke the woke ideology has corrupted the original invention, then even the original invention is up for negotiation. Now who's going to police that, especially if you decoupled yourself from the police? The other part I would say is that Russia does have a problem, and it's a problem that will be realized within the next two to three years, and that is, it's I'm going to call it the Hitler syndrome. Mm-hmm. Can't fight a war on two fronts, my friend. Can't fight everyone's war. You're not big enough. It's all good and fine to send Mali weapons and support and Wagner and whatever else. You need that shit yourself, huh? When you need that shit yourself and you're struggling to keep on top of arms manufacturing, that becomes highly problematic. But after a while, like how many countries' bullshit can you take on? Can't take on everybody's bullshit, man. Sure, sure. I mean, the only problem is we don't really know what Mali's giving back in return. Uh, for Minerals, this. probably. Minerals. Probably, unfortunately. They've no got no one to trade with. Unfortunately, no one ever says so. So, I mean, really, my argument is not that we are definitely going to Russia because the ANZ loves to play both sides. They like to get all the extraction from Goa and the sort of propping up of the economy through Goa. But ideologically, they're quite aligned to Russia as well. So at the start of the hour, I said, America has like screwed themselves a little bit by thinking that the ANC were some sort of moderate neoliberal party which unfortunately they aren't. So, just diplomatically, Byron, I just don't see South Africa becoming, well, a bastion of Western liberalism, uh, for lack of a better term. And I don't know if I'm necessarily happy or sad about that. But on the other hand, the chaos around not being that is highly problematic and difficult as well. So... South Africa finds itself in a very weird conundrum where I don't think there is like a good answer or a good strategy. No, it's very it's very difficult to to I suppose assess. Um, yeah, it's very difficult, you know, because the the, the problem the problem inevitably comes, especially for the ANC in South Africa, is that they recognise that they are deeply indebted to the American economy, but they're not happy about that. But at the same time, they've done nothing to de- de-risk themselves from that. You know, they Putin knew his war was coming. He spent years, years and years and years stockpiling gold and doing all the things he needed to do in order to share his country up. South Africa's done none of those. As I said, if we had a conflict tomorrow, we don't have enough army to secure Gauteng. Yeah, but that's the conundrum, right? So the country is propped up a little bit by Goa. I th- Ago is largely bullshit, and I'll expand that in some other way soon. But the ANC itself is deeply, deeply indebted to Russia, right? Russia is paying the salaries of ANC staffers. Russia is paying off the debt the ANC has accrued for its own institutional political party. And no doubt Russia is paying for perhaps the electoral uh, campaign for next year. So when, the, when push comes to shove, what loyalty is the ANC going to show? Are they going to show it? selfishly towards Russia or they're going to show it to America for the benefit of the country I think we know the answer is that it's going to be the former i.e. their own personal selfish loyalty to the detriment of the country I don't know if I agree huh? like because we have to define what we mean by 
where that loyalty is and what that loyalty actually means. Is it that they're going to pay some of their staff salaries? You could say, is that what we mean by, by loyalties? Ah, potentially, yeah. But the Americans aren't, or the ANC aren't stupid enough to realize that if they have a sovereign debt crisis and they've got people out in the streets, basically with pitchforks wanting to burn them to death, that's highly problematic too. And it don't matter how many of your ANC caters you pay to suck. You're pretty much fucked at that point. So, you know, it may be that they want to continue with a degree of the norm and trust get that for as long as they can in order to self-preserve. Maybe that's what happens. I don't I don't think it's as straightforward as we tend to think. And I think to a large degree that's actually why we are seeing right now South Africa struggling so much with what's going on. Because we we note one of two things. We piss off Putin, he stops paying your staff. Yeah. Okay, well then you got a staff problem and we got another problem with the party being insolvent. You piss off the Americans, you've got a sovereign debt crisis and you've got people burning you on the street. So the ANC really has created a rod for its own back where it's like there's, we're saying that there's no good, you, you started this, this off by saying there's no good options for the Americans. Problem is there's no good options for the South Africans, or should we say the ANC either? The ANC don't have any good options either. Like you, you've got to think of it from that perspective. And we're seeing this in terms of diplomatic statements. I mean, we saw today the 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 deputy finance wanker come out saying, Oh, you know, we deeply value our American partnership and all the other stuff, trying to kiss his at, kiss the Americans' ass. And then we got Pandor saying the Americans should fuck off and you know they will all go join Russia. Like the ANC itself doesn't really know what it wants to do, you know. And so the reality of the situation is, what 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 will what will end up happening? It's impossible to tell at this at this very moment. Um, so I think perhaps a solution, like is it India, like what we what we said right a long time ago is like what is the best foreign policy for south africa well it's probably like a south africa first nationalist policy right where diplomacy is about what's best for the south african state because we do know that if there's 10 percent growth in south africa the haiti will be empowered till jesus comes back but that's not happening at the moment so what india does which is very smart they are sort of global superpower they got an eight percent economic growth uh, projection for the next few years especially under modi they basically say in the UN, yeah, Russia's the aggressor. Yes, Russia this, Russia that. They say all the correct things. And then on the side, everyone knows that they're buying oil at a discount from Russia and making sure that their local population is not suffering the repercussions of any potential sanctions that Russia that has been imposed on Russia. So they're playing a very, very clever game in terms of reaping the benefits from Russia in terms of a discounted oil price. And then on the other hand, they are doing diplomatically what America wants them to do, which is to cast aspersions on Russia. So, and everyone knows it though. So there's no like breaking of any sort of international treaty or agreement or anything like that. It's just India first. If South Africa was smart, I would think that could be a possible solution, but we are not smart. So it probably won't happen. South Africa is not smart. But the problem also is there is a flaw in your in your logic and your your allegation that you've made there. The first is that's now coming to hurt India in the international stage, and that India has just this week been told that because of their 
ability to buy cheap oil from the Russians and re re basically sell it back to the 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 West, if you will, as repackaged stuff, they are now getting extra tariffs imposed on them for some of their exports because the Western forces want them to have a consequence for their support of Russia. So, you know, these these supports don't go unchallenged. They don't go unnoticed. Yeah, okay, India's not being formally sanctioned and criticized, but like as the head of the EU once famously said, they have tools. And because they have tools, they know what to do, mate. And that means all they're gonna do is impose extra tariffs and make your life economically a little bit less should we say, uh, lucrative. And unfortunately, we do live in a world where, where money talks. So that could be another consequence of South Africa taking that approach. You know, we take this nationalistic approach, we buy shit from, from Russia, extra imports imposed on us, lose or go anyway. Like, this, the game that's being played doesn't allow you to take these approaches now. And the problem is, that you've got countries where the statesmen are far more astute than our own that are struggling to to keep the line and toe the line and do everything just right, you know? And then we've got our oafs that frankly, you know, like Mr. Fix for Call. Like, come on, man. Like I watched a I watched a podcast yesterday and the and one of the, the presenters on it referred to him and they said you know, we we think he's the the coolest, funniest guy in South Africa because he's just stupid, and we love and we love listening to him because he always just says stuff that is dumb. And it's she says she even said like, it's it's a problem when your spokesperson for the ANC is referred to by everyone who listens to him as a clown, and everybody listens to him not for what's he. What's he going to say? This might be serious, but rather, what's he going to say? Because we know it's going to be stupid. Like that's highly problematic. But that's our that's our that's our politicians. So you've got the almost like Trevor Noah trying to negotiate global politics, where proper statesmen struggle. Like yeah, man, that's a disaster waiting to happen, and that's exactly what we're seeing: disaster. Yeah, so ironically enough, in South Africa, we often make this joke that I oh, thank God the ANC is incompetent because it saves us from the worst you know, sort of Soviet-style inclinations they have. But on the other hand, their incompetence are leading to the crisis in which we have been discussing for the past hour. So mm. we can't win either of these things. So, Byron, it's been almost an hour. So, I mean, to conclude... I don't know. We fucked. I don't know. But what is there to say? So much complexity around this question about where South Africa is geopolitically that I just don't see, as I said, I just don't see uh, an easy way out. And I think we're not alone in this, that's for sure. I think a lot of countries around the world are looking at their options. But mm. if it's the end of the unipolar world, as we suspect, we can expect a lot of, well, basically a long ride. Yeah, a lot of disruption to, to our way of life. Not uniquely. Yeah, but that's 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 not just us, man. That's like everyone. That's you know, it's like you know, one one of the biggest problems that I think some some countries are now experiencing. You know, they talk quite a bit about in America and especially in 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 Europe now of, of food crises because they can't they can't create enough food for the populations. You know, it, let's let's remind ourselves as Africans become poorer, Africans in general tend to go to the wealthier nations. They become economic migrants they go to where you know 
the GDP is 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 uh, is higher, right? Like they go to to where the uh, the gross domestic product is is the best, and they they get good good moolah because then they want to go there and extract the cash and send it back to their own country, right? So we know this to be true. But as those populations increase, so does the demand and infrastructure. The problem is that because of this outsourcing to to cheaper countries has occurred since the 90s, maybe even the 80s. Everybody's been extracting wealth from the cheaper countries. You know what I mean by that is like they'll come to they'll come to Zimbabwe for cheap grain. Yeah. Wait, but Zimbabwe can't export anymore because it's no longer a food exporter. They come to South Africa for fruits and minerals, but we can't export anymore because we're not really that good at exporting. I mean, Charleston is fucked. So they go they go to all these other these other economies in order to extract the stuff they need to run their eco- economies, right? What happens when those economies that you're extracting from fuck out? Well, causes you problems too. And this is yep. now what we're seeing in Europe and in America because they don't manufacture enough of their own, or they don't grow enough of their own food and and you know raw essential goods. So because it was deemed too expensive, and they shut them down years ago to extract from I don't know some other cheap shithole. So as those countries degrade, like South Africa. It has a massive impact on these other countries, mate. And it's going to cause disruption to all of them. Australia, America, you name it. They're all going to experience these. You know, so we don't the original world order, the the original idea behind globalization was always meant to be that it stabilized the global order because, you know, a bird a bird farts in the south of like Brazil and you know, some dude smells it in the north of Norway. Like that's that was the original idea behind the global order. But at the same time, now that we get into the end of the global order, a war zone in South Africa is felt in Europe. And we've seen this right now in Ukraine. The most insignificant, insubstantial country in Europe voted the shithole of Europe prior to the conflict the most corrupt nation in Europe where fuck all happened. You you went to Ukraine for your hopes to and dreams to die. Like there was nothing there. I mean and yet this conflict, the Nazis, that's about it. That was it. You know, and now the conflict has been felt right across the globe. And that is a consequence of globalization. So what's gonna happen when a country like South Africa crumbles that people actually take something from us? Mate, that has that has global consequences everywhere. So it's not it's not easy times for anybody. It it would be tempting for any person to watch our, our stream and say, Yeah, okay, South Africa's fucked. Let's go to the let's go to the first world. We'll be protected there. But it's not that straightforward. Not a chance. No. Not <laughs> yeah, that straightforward. I, I, it's not that straightforward at all. We know people in Europe. We know people all over the world. The, co- the consequences are still going to be felt there, mate. Yeah. And, you know, if people don't believe us, I want to remind you of what happened when Syria fell. Remember the refugee crisis across Europe? I mean, Syria ended up into a war and they had basically the invasion of Western Europe by Syrian refugees. It was on the news every day. Remember the old picture of the guy like, the the kids lying dead on the beaches because they'd been trying to you know get a boat over there that's why they had almost adopted open borders because there's more repeat of it you know yeah but well all those people weren't syrians anyway don't matter like that was all a consequence of syria's war like what's going to happen when 60 million people in south africa 
and arguably it's not even 60, it's 90 million because we've got like 30 million illegal immigrants here. What happens when that type of population has to go through economic, like absolute economic travesty? Where do you think they're going? I'll tell you where they're going, mate. They're going north because they've got nowhere else to go. South Africa is the end of Africa. There's nowhere else to go. There's just the ocean. Yeah, and north so, can't control or contain or hold or provide any services to... That's going to be... That's going to be felt globally, mate. Globally, as the outpour goes to Europe, to Asia, to that's global global ramifications, my friend. Australia, they're going fucking everywhere. And that's that's going to be the consequence of this. So the reality is there is nowhere to hide from this. The only positive is that in South Africa, to quote Davi Roots, we've hit the end of the barrel. Like we're pretty low down the tree. Yeah. So we say things can't really get much worse because they kind of can't. Like we've got no electricity. We've got no government infrastructure. We've got, we've got nothing here. This is pretty much as bad as it gets for us. So if South Africa splits or fractures, which is what I think the natural consequence of this will be, will we even notice? And, and will it be better? Probably. Not for maybe Western Cape it will be. Maybe yeah, maybe not for the majority of the people, but this isn't this when did we give a fuck about them? We're talking about ourselves here, selfishly. <laughs> we'll probably live far off, uh, much better in enclaved society. And I think, ironically, the conclusion of, of this whole podcast is that this conflict, American diplomacy, Chinese uh long uh, what do you call it, like long, long term planning gains. It's all contributed to the acceleration of the enclave system right here in South Africa, ironically enough. So we were right along, Byron. How far after us? Well, unfortunately, we are right on pretty much a Monday to Friday speculatory point of view just on morning shots on our show. So this is just another another day for us. But so you know that the reality of all the reality of all this is regardless of where you look this is not going to be a easy time for anybody and we discussed this prior to coming on the show the world's have relatively 60 years of stability it's gone my friend it is gone i want to re-highlight the word i use the world has 60 years of stability this is a this is a global problem that, that was, that's the downfall of globalism right globalism was to tie the world economies together to stop them going to war yeah but as i said like in the global context, when one person catches flu, everyone catches flu. And now everybody's sick, and it's a global problem. So there's no, there's nowhere really to hide. I suppose the only kind of thing we can leave you with, ladies and gentlemen, is that you need to buckle down and build your trench and yep. keep, uh, keep a safe space to, to be because the fun's just started. Yeah, quick fire solutions, buy gold. I think that's a really good thing. Um, get weapons as much as possible. Try to be as self-sustainable as possible in terms of food and water. And we're not saying like become a survivalist and this is Mad Max. We're not saying you'll probably live very well if you just take all the precautions that we've been saying you should take on this channel for the past four years or however long it's been. So nothing has changed. Patriots are in control. Actually, they're not. No one's in control. And because no one's in control, you have to be. And there you go. Well, it's, well, it's going to be interesting to see what comes into the vacuum left when the order crumbles. That's what's going to be interesting. 
Yes. Maybe we'll talk about that on a different podcast. Indeed. Maybe next week. This has gone long enough. Thank you for listening, everyone. We will see you next week. Enjoy. Bye. Bye.